Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Right now, Emily, there you go. Thank you. Uh, let's pray, right? And we'll get straight into this word of God to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for your word. Thanks for its uh, kindness to us. Thanks for its frankness to us. Uh, we pray that tonight as we consider it, uh, we'd have ears to hear and hearts that long to know you and follow you, love you and serve you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, now look, I look around, I know many of you here are young. Uh, potentially, potentially marriage may come to you one day. Some of you are married. Some of you here are married and pregnant and some of you here even have young kids. Uh, and so I look around the room and think it won't be too long. It won't be too long before you, and I especially am talking to the men here, because it will fall to you before you have to arrange to have that kind of talk with your children. You know the one I mean, that talk. The one that men typically put off because it's so difficult. Because when you describe it to your children, their eyes go wide and their mouths go agape and they think, am I going to do that? Is that really going to happen to me? It's the talk that more than any other talk a parent prepares so thoroughly because they don't want to be so vague. Because, of course, it's such an important thing, the children must get the facts. But at the same time, you don't want to be too explicit because their young minds cannot cope with something too explicit on issues that are so personal and so intimate as that. And so you prepare the talk very carefully and you take a deep breath and you explain to your children the facts of life and death and you give them a cold, hard truth that their days are numbered, that they must prepare themselves for the one inevitable, inescapable, unavoidable reality which is one day they will die. Well, maybe that's not the talk you've planned to give. <laughs> maybe like, uh, like so many people in this world who believe and practice that death should be hidden. And uh, we never see it. I mean, we see it on our TV screens, don't we? In the comfort of our own lounge chairs. Uh, maybe I'm showing my age here, but if you're like me, you enjoyed that show called CSI. Gonna love CSI, right? Because there was CSI and then there was CSI Miami and CSI Las Vegas and uh, what was the other one? CSI New York. And I've heard they're just opening up CSI West Wollongong like next week. Uh, that'll, that'll start up again. Um, but that, again, it's from the comfort of our own lounge chairs. Because the reality is death is something we tend to hide. We don't really come face to face with death anymore. But today we cannot avoid it. Because what we have before us right now is Psalm 90, which is a psalm which is just like a parent giving that talk. And so let's listen in so that we too might be prepared for the, our own inevitable, inescapable, unavoidable reality that we too one day will die. And when you look at the psalm, Psalm 90, you should immediately know that you are in the presence of a great psalm. It's a psalm, if you look in your Bibles, it's ascribed to Moses, uh, the man of God, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. It's the only one of the psalms ascribed to Moses. Uh, he's, remember, if you know anything of Moses, he's the one that received the Ten Commandments. He's the one that spoke with God face to face. And importantly, 
He was a man who saw a lot of death, huge amounts of death, very familiar with it. So the last of the ten plagues as they came out of Egypt, if you remember that um, Prince of Egypt, or if you've actually read the Bible, even better, Exodus, right? Uh, the last of ten plagues of death of the firstborn sons of every family in, in, uh, in Egypt. He would have heard all the wailing cries of those families. Or as they came out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea, and the sea was parted and, and the Israelites went through on dry ground. But as the army followed them, he, he was there seeing the whole Egyptian army completely drowned, killed, washing up on the shore. You fast forward his life in the desert. So many of the Israelites, as they sinned, were bitten by snakes and he saw so many die. Beyond that, a whole generation. They had to stay out and wander in the desert for 40 years until a whole generation of people died. And he saw that and lived through that. Here's a man who's just seen so much death. And at the same time, he's a man so close to God. When this man prays, you listen. And as he prays, what we have before us is this brutally honest psalm where Moses reflects on God's eternity and our mortality. He reflects on God's infinity and our finiteness. Let's turn to the psalm and see what he prays in the face of death. It starts like this. Look at verse 1. Psalm, chapter, psalm 90, look at verse 1. He starts like this. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or uh, mountains were born, you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. But Moses starts with noticing what our God is really like. He's, he's eternal. He's forever. Uh, he, he, he compares God in some ways to the mountains, things in our experience that just live on and on and on and on and on. And he's saying that from, from one generation to the next, the mountains are still there, but God, even the mountains don't outlast you. You know, we have that saying, don't we? Uh, he's as old as the hills. God's older. He's like far older. He outlasts even the most long-lasting things in our experience. From everlasting to everlasting, it says, God, you are eternal. No beginning, no end. That's how Moses starts. But then his, his thoughts go to us. And we humans, we're not like that. We're different. We have a beginning, we have an end. We're here one day, we're gone the next. Look at verse 3. That's what he says. He says in verse 3, You turn people back to dust. Saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that's just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it's dry and withered. We're fragile. We come and go in the blink of an eye. Uh, so short are our lives in comparison to God's eternity that we are compared here to grass that springs up brand new and fresh as a daisy in the morning, but just by the evening, it's already dry and withered. We are just so, so small compared to God. It says there, like a thousand years to God is like a day. A thousand years is like a watch in the night. Even if you live to a hundred, which in our reckoning is a fairly long time, even if you live to 100, that would just be like a five-minute break for God in one of the watches of the night. That's all it is. 
We are not like God. Our lives are short. Our lives pass away very quickly. And as a result, all our efforts can't really amount to much. Uh, in this way, we're like bees. Um, I don't know how much you know about bees. Um, it's a long time ago since I looked, so, but I hope I got my facts right. But uh, as I understand it, the, a worker bee, your average worker bee in their whole lifetime will produce half a gram of honey. Just consider it. Your whole life's work. Your whole life's work to make half a gram of honey. Now, every time you eat a honey sandwich, there goes the life's effort of 20 bees on your sandwich. Right? It's no wonder, right, they sting you <laughs> when they get the chance. Um, Sarah and I, we have a, my wife Sarah and I, we have a jar of honey at home. A thousand bees spent their life to create that, that, that jar for us. That should make you think twice about allowing honey to go past its use-by date, right? Because it's so, so precious. But when you think of a life of a bee, right, it's so insignificant. It's so small. Its life is here one day and it's gone the next. And its whole life work amounts to pretty much nothing. That's you and me. Our years, it says here, are 70 or 80 Maybe 90 to 100 if you have the strength. But when a thousand years are like a day to God, a thousand years are like a watch in the night, our lives are about a few minutes of a watch in the night. What bees look like to us, that, that's what we look like to God. Here one day, gone the next. Which raises the question, is it, why is it like that? Why do we die? Why are our lives cut so short? In this psalm, as Moses prays, he, he's in no doubt as to why it's like this. And the reason is not physical, and the reason is not medical. The reason's right there in verse 7. Look at verse 7 in the psalm. Here's the reason. Here's why we die. Verse 7 we are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. See, why do we humans die? What's the reason? Here is the cold hard truth. We die because we sin. It says here, our iniquities are before God. God has seen them. God has seen everything. It says here, even the things we've done in secret, the secret sins, they're in the light of his presence. Our dark secrets, he knows them. He knows the skeletons in our closet. He knows it all because he look, as he looks at our life, he can see that, well, I don't know about you, I don't even live up to my own standards all the time. Let alone God's standards. I do things in my life that, when I reflect on them, they offend me. And here is our God seeing everything in our life, and he sees things that they don't just offend us, they offend him. And they've stirred up his indignation. And so our days will pass by under his wrath, and it says here, by his wrath we will die. Which means, and I told you this was a brutally honest psalm, but this means you can know what death is. Death is not an accident. 
When someone dies, it's not as though their biological clock has just stopped. When someone dies, it's not as though the ambulance was too slow in coming. When someone dies, it's not as though science was too slow to find a cure. No, we know what death is. Death is the work of God. That's what it is. That's a hard truth and it's a confronting truth. But I believe sometimes the truth just needs to be said and to let it all hang out. The truth about death is this, that God is offended with people and their secret sins and their not-so-secret sins And so he decrees that all people will die. And he will see to it that it happens. And death, therefore, is the work of God who is deeply offended at the lives of sinful people. This is Moses, right? Giving that talk to his children. And he's saying to them, that if you are going to prepare yourself for the one inevitable, inescapable, unavoidable reality, then this truth needs proper reflection. The truth that your days are numbered and that they are numbered because of your sin, that truth deserves proper reflection. But who gives proper reflection to this truth? I think that's what Moses is asking in verse 11. See what he writes in verse 11 when he says, if only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. It's kind of that question we had earlier. You know? if, only I, if, only, if only I knew, I would have done things differently. One translation actually poses this verse as a question that says, who knows the power of your anger? And the answer is hardly anybody. Hardly anybody knows because hardly anybody ponders this question. It's actually the one thing that people are pretty much unwilling to talk about is just the reality of death and what it means and what's causing it. There's lots of things like you can, you can stop a conversation with this topic as quickly as you like. Uh, some of you may have heard this illustration before, so sorry if it's a repeat, but um, if you go to a party and you want to get into a conversation, have a good time, you, know, you can ask almost anything. And nowadays, any topic's open. Oh, you know, have you uh, thought about interest rates lately and if you could ever afford to buy a house? You'd have, you'd have a conversation straight up like that. Have you thought about what, you, uh, what you're doing for Christmas this year? You'll have a conversation. Um, uh, where are you going to go on your next holiday? Oh, yeah, I'm going to do something. Yeah. You can ask all those lots of conversations. You drop into the conversation, hey, have you, um, have you given any thought to your death lately? Right, the conversation will stop. Because it's just not a topic what people want to consider. Who considers, Moses asked? And the answer is hardly anybody gives any consideration. And if they do give consideration to their death, even fewer people want to consider it the work of God. And so this truth hardly gets any proper reflection in our world today, but gee, we desperately need to. 
I don't know if you realise this, but between in the in the last century, so between the years 1900 and 2000, so that that 100 year period of history, it is estimated that four billion people died. For for four billion people to die in a hundred years, then at the very least, one person would have died every second of every day, of every year, of every decade. For a hundred years. I don't know if you've got a watch, if you wear watches anymore, that have got like a second one that ticks past. You watch the seconds go past in your watch, and it's death, 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 and on it goes, non stop, every day, every year, every decade, a hundred years in a row. This is a very, very serious and ongoing work of God very important for me to say and for you to hear it's not a work he takes pleasure in Uh, if if you're a note taker it's Ezekiel 33 verse 11 where God is very clearly saying he takes no pleasure in the death of a sinner but he longs for them to return to him and, and come to repentance Oh, he longs for that he takes no pleasure in this work but it is his work And he will personally see to it that I die one day, that you die one day. So how do you respond to a God who does this? How do you respond to this work of God? Well, verse 12 is first base. Here's how you respond, verse 12. Look at verse 12. Here's what Moses thinks, his first base. He asks his God, teach us to number our days. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. Oh, here's how you respond. The first thing you do is you number your days. You number your days so that you might be wise. And it will help you to be wise because if you are numbering your days, you will be acutely aware that your time on this planet is limited. You'll know that as the days roll past, and boy, they roll past quickly, you are just getting closer and closer to the day you will die. In my life, gee, the days go quick. Um, my very first memory that I can go back to in my mind, if I can't, what's my first memory? It's really when I was four. You know, those first three years went so quickly for me, I can't even remember them. Years one, two, and three, uh, they're gone for me. Years four, five, and six, gone. 10, 11, 12, gone. 18, 19, 20, gone. 32, 33, 34, they're gone. 45, 46, 47, gone. I always think I'll live to 100. I don't know why, very few people do. But God determines my days. And I don't know how long they'll be. For my dad, I mentioned earlier, it was, it was 59, 60 61. Time's up. For good friends of mine with her brother, it was 23, 24, 25. Time's up. I know of parents, tragically for their child, it was one day, two day. Time's up. 
You don't know how many days you've got. That's actually the, when my kids were born. I've got three children. When they were born, this is the first part of the Bible at the hospital that I read to them. It's a birthday psalm. Because I don't know how long they'll have. But no matter how long it is, I want them to be wise and to have a heart of wisdom that numbers their days. And notice it says, don't number your decades. Don't number your years. Number your days. Now, if you do number your days and you know your days are numbered because, well, because God is... God is angry at, 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 at sin that, that offends us and offends him. If you know that that's why they're, they're numbered, what, what will the wise person do? What will the wise person pray? They'll pray what Moses prays here. What you must pray, I think. The wise person will pray and will ask God for compassion. God, give it as like this can I have some mercy, please? God, are you willing to relent? That's what Moses prays. Look at verse 13. That's what he's praying right there. He prays, relent, O Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Moses asks God, can you please relent? Can you please have compassion? Moses doesn't say the word here, but he's effectively praying for forgiveness for his secret and not so secret sins. And he's asking God, I know you know them. I know they offend you. Can you please, please forgive me? Can you relent and have compassion? And, and if you're here today, and potentially this is one of the first times that you're getting confronted with the reality of your own death in this kind of manner, and maybe you're someone who hasn't prayed regularly or prayed rarely, Maybe you've never asked for forgiveness from God. Then of all the things you hear this evening, boy, that is the most critical, isn't it? God, my own sins. Please relent. Please forgive. Now, how would God respond to a prayer like that? How did God respond to Moses' prayer like this? It's, it, it is a request for life, isn't it? God, I know I'm going to die because of my sin. I don't want to die. I want to have life. Can you give me life? The great thing is we, we know how God responds to this prayer because we know the work of Jesus Christ. We know that while God takes no pleasure in the death of a sinner, boy, he takes pleasure in relenting and offering life to people. God, that is so important. He, he, he's a just God. So while he takes no pleasure in the death of a sinner, he will bring death to people. But he loves to show mercy. He's willing to, he's willing to relent. If you're willing to ask him. I still remember that night that my mum called when my, when, uh, when my dad had died. He, he was uh, overseas at the time. Him, him and my mum were on a holiday and I got a phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning, and you know if the phone goes off at 2 o'clock in the morning, it's, it's not good news. And it was my mum, and in tears on the end of the phone, telling me that Dad had died. But in our grief as a family, we didn't grieve with, as people do without hope, because our, my dad knew that 
God was willing to relent. He'd asked for forgiveness. He knew that in Jesus' death on the cross, that God very kindly was making our problem his problem. I can't beat death by myself. I can't do that. I, can't, I cannot defeat death. But God saw our problem. He saw the reality of our death and he hated it as much as we did. And so in his loving kindness, he made our problem his problem. And he heard Moses' prayer for relenting. And he says, I, I will, I am willing. I am willing to have mercy. I am willing to forgive. But it didn't come cheap. It did cost Jesus his life to win that forgiveness. And as Jesus took on our problem in himself, he showed he defeated he dealt with our sin and our public and not so public sins. He's completely dealt with it because as he rose from the dead, death had been completely defeated, which actually means he is able to offer life and he calls it eternal life, which is a life, if you get it, where you don't have to number your days because it's eternal. What a gift. What a God. How generous is he? But it really does make you, should make you pause and go, what am I doing with Jesus? Because this is God's one and only offer. And it wasn't a cheap thing for him to do. It's his one and only offer. It really should make you pause and go, do I accept him? Do I follow him or not? Because it's, this is the crucial thing in your life. Uh, you see it in a verse like this. Hopefully this one comes on the screen. I've only got two little verses on the screen. This is not in Psalm 90. This is John chapter 3, verse 36. There it is on the screen. Just listen to the language here as it talks about Jesus. John chapter 3, verse 36. It's talking about Jesus and it says, Whoever believes in the Son, and that's Jesus Christ, whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. Yeah, life that doesn't end. No, no need to number your days. But, notice what it says, the but. But whoever rejects the Son, whoever rejects Jesus, will not see life. Why? Oh, because God's wrath will remain on them. If you believe in the Son, you follow Jesus, you have life, anger's removed, eternal life, days without number. But God's anger will remain on those who refuse to believe in Jesus. It says that if you don't believe in the Son, then wrath and anger remains. Remains. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Jesus is God's one and only offer. It does make you consider carefully what you do consider carefully what you do with Jesus. Will you accept him? Will you reject him? Have you made a decisive decision about him? We all need to. If you're still working that out, come to life. Great name for a course. Come to find out about real life. Come this week, come on Thursday. Now, asking God to relent is Moses' first prayer. But there's more. And I want to highlight one for you, particularly that comes at the end of the psalm, because I think it's of great importance. Because he has something there as he prays in response to all this that is, I think, a very interesting request. It's there in verse 17, in the last verse of the psalm. See what his request there is. In the face of death, this is what Moses asks. He says, May the favour of, uh, of the Lord our God rest upon us, 
establish the work of our hands for us. Yes. Establish the work of our hands. It's a fascinating verse, a very interesting request to ask God that whatever I put my hands to, whatever work I do, God, can you please establish it? I think what's going on for Moses here is he he's noticing that our finiteness compared to his eternity means that we really are like those bees. You know, buzzing around in our lives, doing all that, doing whatever we can, but the end result is half a gram of honey. And he notices that and and Moses is going, Our work so transient, so futile. God, please, please don't let the work of my hands be so meaningless. Please, God, please establish it. Now, how does God answer that prayer? The good news is, as we think through what Jesus has done for us as well, God gives us a very clear answer that yes, yes, not all work, but there is some work of your hands that I will establish for eternity, that will be here that's not just here one day and gone to next, but work that actually stands the test of time, stands eternity. And it's actually called in the New Testament, it's the work of the Lord. Uh, That's why we had that second reading there in 1 Corinthians 15. It's that chapter where the Apostle Paul talks about our death, but also in particularly the resurrection of Jesus. He talks about death having no sting anymore, that it's been defeated. And he says, because of that, and the very last verse of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, because of what Jesus has done, because death has been defeated, he says, it's on the screen, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord, it's not in vain. It will last. It will go on for eternity. I mean, if you're like me, you think about your life. I've spent a fair bit of my life working. I've had all sorts of little jobs around. The, I've uh, picked fruit. I had a job in a gold mine once. Uh, I constructed a bridge when I was an engineer many years ago. Uh, all of it, all of it, important work. Don't hear me. You shouldn't should should not undervalue that kind of work. However, it will pass away and be forgotten in time. That was loving to build a bridge, help people get from one side of the river to the other. Really important to do that. But the bridge will outlive its design life and someone will pull it down one day. Uh, the fruit I picked, right? It's important to eat. Really important to eat. But it's already been eaten. And it's been eaten by people like me who are going to die one day. So it's, kind of, it's not going to last. Uh, the gold, the same. It's not work that's established. Or established forever. But gee, as I was building that bridge, I was also teaching a Sunday school of kids, teaching them all about Jesus. Oh, that was back in the late 1990s. I know some of them, they're still following Jesus. Some of them have actually given up their life to go and tell others about Jesus and they're, oh, that's work, that's going to last forever. Oh, that Sunday school lesson that I was teaching, that is work that is established. It's this spreading of the gospel that is not in vain. And so whoever gets in and speaks it, or whoever gets in behind the scenes to make sure it can be heard, whoever gives money to free up people to, to speak the gospel to others, whoever invites a friend 
to come and hear about Jesus at, the, at life this week. All that is work. That is not, that, of your hands, that is not in vain. And I want to ask you, do you give yourself to that work? You've got one life. That's all you've got. And the numbers, the days are numbered. What are you going to do with it? You don't want to waste it. Do you find yourself giving yourself to this kind of work or do you find yourself giving yourself to... Well, when I look around the world, this is what I see people giving their lives to. What they give their hands to. They give their hands to the five Ps. The first P is the paycheck. That's what they give their life to, their hands to. I give myself to the... I want the job that will pay me the most amount of money. And out of all the jobs that are out there, I will choose the one with the biggest paycheck. That's the first P that people give their lives to. Which leads to the second P. Well, I I have the job to get to the second P, which is the postcode. I want the big check so I can buy the house in the right postcode. You know, the one that's close to the hill or the one that's near the beach or right on the river, whatever it is for you, the suburb that everyone likes. And once I've got the paycheck that allows me to get to the postcode, I give myself to the third P, which is possessions. I get possessions, so I've got to fill that house with stuff. That's what I'm, that's what I'm giving my hands to. Uh, I reckon you see this, um, uh, this, is, this is a trajectory for some of you that maybe you're right. You see this with coffee. Right, people who love coffee. I'm not a tea or coffee drinker, so I, I feel like I can say this with liberty. But you know, if you like coffee, um, when you first leave home, you can't afford much, right? So you, you buy an instant coffee. But that, that won't do it for you. So as you get the paycheck, and you, know, you kind of go, well, I, I, what I really need is a little, um, you know, a little AeroPress. That's what I'll get, a little cold press. But then over time, that's not good enough. So I need another possession. So that's when you go, look, I'm going to get the little um, espresso machine. I'll buy a Sunbeam espresso machine. But that's not enough, right? So a bit, bit more, bit more K-check a bit later, and I'm going to upgrade to the DeLonghi. I've got a DeLonghi now. And away you go. But, and then I, coffee's better fresh. I need a grinder. Uh, and I need a, if I'm going to have a grinder, and fre- I need a roaster, so I'm going to get that possession as well. Uh, and by the time you retire in that suburb with the paycheck, you've now got a coffee tree in the backyard. Right, because that's what you're going. Um, but we do that with all our possessions. Right? With cars, with televisions, with clothes. Paycheck, postcode, possessions. And we do all that because what we desperately want is prestige. We do all that because I, if, if I'm living in the right suburb and have got the right career and I own the right things, then people look at me and go, man, he's got his life together. And what a guy he is. I mean, I wish I had a life like that. And we want all those other peas so that we can retire early for pleasure. The fifth P. And spend the rest of our life travelling the world. Paycheck, postcode, possessions, prestige, pleasure. This is the work that I see countless thousands of people giving their hands to as I look around the world. It's vanity. It's not work that gets established, is it? 
Fancy wasting your life like that, living for the five Ps. What about you? What are you going to give your life to? What work are you going to give your hands to? Is it the work of seeing people to come to Christ and to grow in Christ and give your work to seeing deeper disciples made in ever-increasing numbers? To see a flood of disciples here in the Wollongong. Because that is the work that will be established forever. How about I pray that with God's help we'll give ourselves to that kind of work. Let's pray.